welcome back to Book and Life Podcast. Today we are going to be on with the legendary, the one and only, Melko Wrestling author, Joey Legend. But first, before we get into how he wrestles, writes, family man, deals with rabbits, we're going to uh, hear quickly from Marianne Curley, who was on last week and has the new book, Shadow Time Guardian. And it's book four. I'll read you a little bit of the blurb. So it's, the battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete that life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends in the dark. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there, blaming herself for the goddess of Athena's death. Gisela swears revenge and fulfills the immortal's plan for world domination that Gisela hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectations, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into the impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe? Who stands in the shadows? So that is out now, and so go check out Marianne Curley's new book. And now we're going to jump in with Joe. Uh, So Joe and me, we got together a few years ago. Um, We wrote Marie's World. We've then gone on and wrote several spin-offs from that. Uh, We've been on a bit of a break, but we have come back to do the Book and Life podcast um, to talk about his life as a wrestler as a writer, uh, working with me, he probably has the same story as me there, and uh, and he balances it all, because he's a family man, he's, he's the most amazing friends I've ever seen in my life, so uh, take it away, Joe. Oh, thanks, on? that's nice of you to say about the kids. Yeah, the kids are easily my best friends. They're uh, going to be 14 on the 25th this month, and uh like, I'm not short. I'm 6'3", so I'm not a giant, but I'm not short. But they're almost as tall as me already. So they're going to be dwarfing me by this time next year and bullying me for the car keys, I'm sure. Yeah, and patting you on the head and saying, yes, Dad, just, just go. Yeah, yeah, I can see that coming. What is nice is that my mother's coming over here to visit from Canada. I live in Hanover, Germany, for those who, didn't, who don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm originally from Toronto, so my mother couldn't come over at Christmas time this year due to all the lockdown uh, nonsense that was going on. And my dad had, of course, passed away in August. It was her first time, you know, not not having anybody there at Christmas time. But the blessing is, is that my kid's birthday's on the 25th, her birthday's on the 27th, and she's going to be here for all of it. So as far as the family thing, as you were bringing up, uh, goes, that's going to be, um, we're very much looking forward to that. She can spend a lot of time with her grandkids. Yeah, I think that's an important thing, like, COVID's taught everybody, and we were talking about this last uh, week, is that you have to kind of, like, stop and smell the roses, almost. Like... For about two years, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, but it's good, because it's taught us all how to pace ourselves and to have a life outside of our, you know, our passions and our careers and, and stuff like that. I mean, I went... Uh, we got married in November. Right. And, you know, we, we had to postpone it, like, eight times or something, because it was COVID and that's yep. when we finally got married and it actually meant a lot because we were able to get both families together and and it was a, a 
like a huge deal for us. Um, yeah, it's the most important was, part is the family getting the family in there, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I went back to, to working in the schools uh, during COVID because I wanted to help with the teaching crisis that we were having. Um, and I, I feel like I did, but I put my writing career on hold for that for a season. So right. Be a bit of regret on that side of things for me, but... I don't know if there's you should regret that because I think sometimes when you write as much as you do and you write a lot is that sometimes I don't want to say the well runs dry but sometimes you need to take a step back and get some inspiration and some life experience in other ways to spark new creative ideas so taking a moment to step back and you know get some new life experiences probably helped your helped uh, inform the creativity of your writing yeah and the thing was I went back to school as well Hmm. Oh, good. I literally, I had just gone into Open University and then COVID hit. Yeah. Um, so it was it was crazy. I did my first year and I passed it and then I was like, I don't want to study this. So I'm now doing an Open degree, a Bachelor's Open degree. And it's been great because I've learned so much about different forms of writing and English and, you know, why you use certain terminology and phrases and words. And um, it's been great because it's, it's really expanded my writing ability. Good. As writers, you have to, I mean, you know this as well as I do, but we all have to explore more. It's almost like we're always in schools as writers, like we're always trying to learn something new, whether it's social media or not. Really. Well, most, most writing is kind of conveying experience, whether it's a fantasy experience like a Star Wars or a Marvel thing, or whether it's a real life experience, you know. So sometimes... Uh, like I say, sometimes you need to, to have real-life experiences even to inform the fantasy experiences. Yeah. You know, it gives you new ideas. And sometimes, like, you just you write one thing for so long that I think, I don't want to say the well runs dry, but you've, you've used your best ideas to start with. And now your secondary ideas aren't quite as strong, but you're, you stick with them because they fit the narrative. But then the third one comes along, and it's, um, there's, a, there's a hockey coach named Don Cherry in Canada. Well, in, in the NHL, he used to coach for Boston and stuff. Anyway, he's considered a great coach and a great Canadian and all that. And he used to put out these videotapes. I used to get one every year for my brother at Christmas called Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey. It was all the best hits and best fights of you know in hockey. And the first tape was gold because it was every great hit and fight from when the tape came out to every year before that was on film. Then the second one was every good fight and hit from that year plus what he didn't put in the first one. And then the third one was, you know, even less. And it just, you know, so he needed to take a break from it to try and uh, find some new stuff to put on so it wasn't just secondary stuff. Yeah. You know, you want every idea to kind of be the the champion idea. But most sequels go with, you know, Law of Diminishing Returns because you were so excited about the first one that you put all your best stuff in there. And then you're trying to find stuff of equal value, but even it can't even be equal value. Because you've set an expectation with the reader. Yeah, so now you've got to have something that's as good or better just to seem like it's almost as good. Because they already have an expectation. Whereas the first time you can shock and surprise with anything. Because it's all I new. Think, I think we got lucky too. Because with our series, we've, we've had Raven. I mean, yeah. I've had text conversations with him. Well, he's an incredibly creative guy. Yeah, and I think I've, I've driven him slightly insane with Marriage. Because I think... He's well, he, was clo- he was close to that anyways. <laughs> yeah, um, but he loves the fact that Harold's book is going to be the biggest book ever. So, there we go. Uh, um, he he smiles at that, you know, thing. But it's been great because I certainly, I sort of 
because it's from COVID, I did on the day that the drop-in was really busy. I feel like it could have been the day before. Um, like, I sat down on the couch with Connor Jamer, and I wrote an entire wrestling match, you know, just because I sat on the computer for an hour. Yeah, he's a clever um, guy. Yeah, and it, it was good to have that kind of comparison for continuing on the series, but at the same time also having that, I was going to steal the conversations with him. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll have a conversation with Shane Helms, and I'm like, oh, wow, well, you know, I, I can pull on that for this character, I can pull on this for that character, and, and it's been great. And I got together with Sean back in Sean Flanagan, who's a producer of one of the most incredible concerts ever, my kind of boss films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've started really exploring his ways of, you know, I've had to educate him on wrestling, which... Mm-hmm. I'm usually the person with the least amount of wrestling experience or knowledge in the room. So having him come in and me having to explain uh, terminology or, uh, you know, the companies to him and why the companies are different, why the wrestling is different, why the storyline is so different, um, why there's wrestling agents and managers and, you know, breaking it down seemed good in almost a way because I've almost been able to get rid of the bubble that Vince Russo's kind of taught me to be in. Right. So I feel like I'm kind of expanding. But with you, it was really good because you challenged a lot of, I call it like, the, the stuff that Vince kind of got you in the, like in the way of doing. You kind of mm-hmm. like challenged that a little bit. Um, not saying that my time with Vince was bad, because it wasn't. But Vince did show me that a lot of people in this business don't know when to be right and when to be wrong. Well, Vince, like... He gets more heat than he deserves, I think. I get along great. You're talking about Vince Russo, right? Yeah. Yeah, you see, I get along great with Vince. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's got a lot of good ideas. He does. I think that um, he's like anybody. I don't agree with him 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I hate him. Doesn't mean I think he doesn't have a, a, a role to play. I do I think that he's he's so kind of outlandish with a lot of his ideas that sometimes you got to rein him in a bit. And that's why Vince McMahon was good to kind of not let him go too far off the edge where all of a sudden there's nowhere to go. Like you want to be able to go right up to the edge of the cliff and then get a great view and not fall off the edge. Whereas Vince runs right at that, that edge and you know, let the chips fall where they may. And sometimes he needs somebody to hold him by the belt and let him lean over, get a good look before you fall off this cliff, you know? Um, but Vince Russo to his credit, I mean, he got a lot of crap for the uh, David Arquette world champion thing. And I mean, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Totally get. It. I understand they were keeping the movie company happy, and you know it was it was a, it was a huge risk, and it, it didn't pay off. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to his credit, to get David Arquette to wrestle on a show and to put the big belt on him in, and he, I think he lost it in a cage or something like that, like a stacked up cage thing. Can't remember. Yeah. But in order to get him there, he was kind of a, a bigger deal in Hollywood then. He's not as big a deal now. People remember his name a bit, but he's not. The kind of close to a lister he was back then, um, but he was back then he was a, he was a name. So to get him on there and the insurances that you'd have to pay and go through, and all the different levels of the entertainment business that you'd have to go through through Turner, I bet you the decision to put the belt on him probably had to go through at least fifteen people, yeah, who and all had to say yeah. Right, so he got. 15 people all say, yep. He convinced all 15. 
if it had been a success, all 15 people would have wanted their pat on the back. But when it didn't work, they all turned their back and said, no, no, it was Vince. It was Vince. And to Vince's credit, he didn't list off those 15 people and throw them all under the bus to save his own hide. He said, no, it was my idea. Didn't work out. So I give him credit for, you know, it was a bad idea, but he was willing to eat crap on that idea and not try to pawn it off on somebody else like all the other people did on him. So I credit Vince for that. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. supposed to be there but never made it but you know I was like road dog and I was able to see that I had a mountain and a half to climb because mm. they were honest with me they're like women don't get in this sport you don't you're not going to get far in this um and it was nice that they were honest at least you know women don't really get to do the sport um and then with you it was like it was almost a drive for me having them say that because it was like I want to prove them wrong. Yeah. And Vince loved the fact that I am so fit for this. He said I'm a, I'm more of a fit for you than a man. Like, and I didn't give it up and I kept running with it. I think what I regret is I regret that they were not more open to the fact that I I'm a good writer. It doesn't matter if I'm dead right now. And I think I've discovered from conversations with people that are working on Invincible Man, he's not that open to female writers either. Um, and I think it's... Right, well, yeah, but at the same time, it's because he has no real experience with it. He's never yeah. taken a risk on it. How many years, how many years did they have WrestleMania main events before they had women do it? Exactly, but... Right, so it's, it's, it just yeah, takes time to, to reprogram or rewire somebody's thinking. Yeah, but we're not going to see, in my time anyway, there is not going to be a female creative writer Right. It's not, you know, we're not going to shatter that glass ceiling anytime soon. And so you never know. Thank you. So, it just might be right place, right time, right person. It just... Well, I mean, you look at all elite wrestling. How many women do you think sitting in the ref rolls right now? I truthfully don't know. Um, I know they, uh, with their thing, is they like to let the guys who are in the matches handle their own stuff. So I imagine they, this is the same with the girls. I don't think they have too many agents. I think they could kind of use some agents, yeah. not, not, not to uh, to overshadow the show, um, or to get credit for the show, but more than anything, like you have a tag team division, and you have a guy like Arn Anderson and a guy like Tully Blanchard working in the company. I would let them steer the direction of the tag team division because they have such experience working for both big companies yeah. through two big waves of. Uh, of a, of a wrestling boom, and that would be great. Whereas, you know, I think that, I think they would be good. It would be good to have that. Also, to make sure that there isn't a lot of uh, repetition on the show. Like, I, I I happened to watch one uh, thing of of their show, one of their pay per views, and I think I saw six Canadian destroyers throughout the show. Yeah. yeah. So they need. I think an agent there, a couple agents going through making sure what the big moves are and then coming back and meeting and saying, all right, where's the overlap? It's the same with when you see like 10 suicide dives. Yeah. 
it's overkill. Right. To me, Which is like, one of the things that kind of killed Ring of Honor for years. Yeah. Is the fact that every match looked identical. It was six little guys diving on each other. And you yeah. did 20 minutes of, you know, fighting all over the place. And you didn't have to worry about the match going home for a finish until everybody had dove, dove to the floor at least once. Yeah. Then you could start thinking about it. So you don't really have to be interested for the first 20 minutes. Because there's no concern for win or loss in the first 20 minutes. It's all, hey, look at me. So that... That's the struggle. They got to put the attention back on the value of winning and losing. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that they are not concerned with the fourth pillar, right? I like the fact that you know, because WWE is not doing the fourth pillar either, so there's not the same kind of restrictions on that. However, I do think Punk and MJF did it extremely well, but now we've got Eddie Kingston doing it. We've got Jericho doing it, and it's now become too much. Like I agree. Eddie Kingston's line of, "Yeah, boys, kayfabe's dead, but you don't need to piss on the grave." Was yeah. incredible quote because it it really is what is happening now to me. And I've I've gotten into it and watched it because I know people that are working backstage, or there's people that's been involved with it that have said, "You need to clearly cut it because you're different. You have a different opinion. You you know." There's certain storylines they've botched that could have been more, like, exceedingly good for what it what it was done. For. Yeah, um, which is not a bad idea to have a couple of agents there. I mean, even back in the day, back in the 80s when they didn't have agents, mm-hmm. Vince and Pat Patterson would sit down and write, you know, the TVs and write the angles for the next six months. Because Pat was brilliant when it came to that sort of thing, especially finishes. Pat was a genius when it came to finishes. Yeah. But he'd sit around with you know, a couple of the other guys, uh, Terry Garvin and the like, and come up with some ideas. But he'd sit down with the talent too and let the talent come with it. It's just agency became overkill in WWE where everything is so tightly scripted and formatted and and such that it's lost its uh, spontaneity. Now you had the the opposite happen with Eric Bischoff where it's like, you know, spontaneity is the key. So he didn't really format anything in WCW went completely off the rails. So you, there, there's yeah, got to be a balance inside of it. There's got to be some some spontaneity for sure, but there also has to be some format to make sure that there isn't the same match six times throughout the course of a night and the same angle six times throughout the course of the night. And every wrestler doesn't look identical, so it seems like a boring show. You know, there has to be, you know, somebody kind of captivating the variety aspect of the show. And that's why I think I... I And that's simply because they've got somebody in the back who's executive producing it, who knows what he's doing, who knows to balance it. He's Oxford Billy. I'm not sure he's walking around with a broken foot right now. But he takes his time, and he has that ability to step back, be a writer, be an agent, be, you know, all three things. Um, And that's... I admire that more than what I'm seeing from what's already out there. I think I'll probably end up watching NWA only if WWE and All Elite keep going the way they're going. But getting back to us, like, that was what made us work, was you were the wrestling side, so you had all the showbiz experience and how wrestling works. And then I had the dance side of things, where it is a little bit like wrestling in some respects, because we had predetermined winners, we had predetermined storylines, 
our spawn to Danny was a problem because uh, we didn't have anybody actually, you know, blaming or doing anything like that. Um, and I think that was more to do with platform and how we were all how we were all operating at the time. And you kind of gave me that almost structure when I came into the writing session. You're like, oh no, you, you know, you, you can't do this because a wrestler will do that. Mm-hmm. And it was a good almost like a chess game between the two of us because I always felt like I was trying to shove my two characters in two different directions and you almost kind of were reining me in all the time. Um, and I think that's what works, particularly because you've got the softer side. So I always say like you're the Layla kind of side of the brain and I'm, I'm the Bree, I'm the, the, the hothead spitfire that just doesn't take his episodes in front of the face. Um, and I think that's why the twins work as well. And I think that's the fun part of working with you in particular, because you were able to roll over to your role with... Well, I didn't even stop at the fifth act. You know that. I would just fly right yeah. over the end, and you would be like, whoa! <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's um, a lot like stand-up comedy in a way. Like, you, you start with some hot material, but you don't just keep hitting hot material the whole time because it wind up it winds up becoming average. Like, if you just keep swearing the whole time, and the whole thing's about swearing, like the first couple of swear words... The crowd's like, holy crap, he said that in public? On a microphone? Oh my god. But if that's your whole shtick, it gets, it gets weak. Yeah. You know? So you gotta you know, build it up, then you gotta calm them down a bit, then you build them a bit more, then you calm them down, then you blow them away at the end with you know, your best material. But you can't give them your best joke, then your second best joke, and just deteriorate through the course of thing. You gotta come up with something hot, and then something not quite as hot, but bring them on the journey. And so I, I think a lot of times every match that I've seen on AEW, like I like the idea of everybody wants to steal the show. I like the idea that everybody wants the main event, so they want to go out there and earn it. But you also have to have somebody in charge to give them restrictions for where they are on the card. Like they can't be doing tables and barbed wire and all this stuff in the opening match with no backstory to warrant it. Right? Um, yeah. But also you can't have all that in the middle of the card because these two guys have been fighting you know this is their third match together this is a big blow off match and you know they have razor wire and all this kind of crap there that you can't follow that with just a you know a borderline Greco-Roman match with no follow through you know or with no backstory so there's there's got to be certain restrictions and containment and then Mm -hmm. get the crowd under those um, under those restrictions under those under those formats and then you'll be able to get them, you know, when you build towards something else. But each each match has to build the crowd up in its own format and not try to carry over and steal something that should be used later on. Exactly. And I think I, I sound like a broken record because I think I want to do that breaking ceiling thing. And it's not for adulation or because, you know, I want to be nice. It's not that at all. I just think I think female voices have a place in wrestling, and I would like to see that more. I mean, AJ Lee is the perfect example. She she believes the same thing, and she's working with Glow, and she's working with that kind of, you know, she's back in wrestling, but she's in a, a producer, writer's kind of role, and she's gone away and gotten the writer's experience she needs to make it work. I just think... Who's this? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. Um, AJ Lee. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, you know, and I respect her for that. She's wrestled. She went away she learned how to write and now she's bringing all of that together and she's taking it into glow and i really respect her for that i just think well gail kim's doing it for uh impact yeah but it's again like that's what two females that have any cooking right 
But what you're saying is that there's a glass ceiling that can't be broken, but the glass is starting to crack. And as these things get successful, people are going to be more open to the idea of it. It's just these these girls are going to be carrying the flag first. Didn't they issue Vince McMahon hire a head of creative writer? Vince will, Vince will hire whoever will make him money. Mm-hmm. Like evidently, Bret Hart punched him in the eye, yeah. and he still brought him back because that was a money move. Yeah. And he had heat with Hogan forever when he Hogan left for WCW. He brought Hogan back. Vince is a guy who will... He's, he's got an expression. Can you swear on the show? I don't want to... Yeah, yeah. yeah you can. Okay. Vince told a few people, and I won't mention names just because I don't know if they want this mentioned. But at one point, I don't know he said Jim Cornette for sure, so I can mention that name because Jim Cornette has said this in public. He said, at some point, Vince says to you, you know, Jimmy or whatever your name is, at some point in this business, you've got to learn how to eat shit and say you like it. Yeah. That was my first lesson with Vince Russo. Yeah, so he's, the thing is, he leads by example in that regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much heat did him and the Ultimate Warrior have? And Warrior beat him in court. And yeah, Jesse Ventura beat him in court. Mm-hmm. And he still had these guys come back because they were ultimately money moves. Yeah, I mean. So, yeah, he, I think if he saw that a woman could write and do well, he might hire Gail Kim away from Impact because he's got more money than Impact. If he sees Gail Kim and they go, gee whiz, all this stuff is drawing attention and doing well. Who's writing that stuff? Gail Kim says, I wrote all this stuff. I don't see her going because she doesn't like the atmosphere there. She left on pretty sour terms. But I don't think she would not go because she wasn't welcome. She wouldn't go because she didn't like it. Exactly. But then, again, you do have to look at WWE has to match out seasons of writers on a, a regular basis because Vince is a pit bull. And he has expectations, but he doesn't have anybody in that room that's fearless enough to say, hey, Vince, this sucks. Well, nobody has the job security. Like, the the one guy who had the job security was Pat Patterson. Yeah. So Patterson would tell Vince flat out, Vince, this is no good. This sucks. Mm-hmm. And Vince would listen to him. Yeah. Um, for the most part, from what I see, he's surrounded by yes men who just tell him whatever he wants to hear is great. But even Vince... McMahon needs to be reined in, much as Vince Russo or anybody else. Sometimes you get high on... I mean, he was high on the idea of Fandango. Right? And he thought Fandango was going to be the next big thing. Right? He needed somebody to tell him, look, like... He just wasn't booked very well. Well, no, but I mean, he was essentially brought in, like, oh my god, he's this dancer who is wrestling. But the gimmick was always, sure, I, you know, I'm the best dancer in the world, now watch me wrestle. Which makes no sense. If, if you're the best dancer in the world, go, go be a dancer. Yeah. What he should say is, I'm a wrestler who has a background in dance. Watch how dance assists me in being the best wrestler I could be. Yeah, so then all of a sudden it becomes a different animal. But instead he was so busy trying to be a dancer on a wrestling show that people just laughed at him after a while. And can I say... But Vince was excited for that and he thought that was going to be the next big thing. And he needed somebody to sit him down and say, shouldn't he be a... Gr- an excellent wrestler with a dance background as opposed to an excellent dancer who works for the wrong business. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, as a dancer, if I saw him coming out, I would try and skip ahead because his dancing sucked. Oh, see, I, I wouldn't know enough to say. There was, there were so many mistakes. Like, I, oh, I felt yeah, for some he had to cover it up. Like, but also, if he's a heel, then maybe he's doing his job because he's pissing you off. <laughs> no, he was 
desperately trying to get it right. That was that was what was annoying me. I'm like, can okay. somebody just take him and give him proper dance lessons? Because this this is this is ridiculous. Um, okay. But no, I get your. But either way, that's my point. Is just you know, Vince needed somebody to tell him how to restructure Fandango to make him more marketable. Because from what I'm led to believe, he's a, he's a really nice guy and he's he is. good. He is. He's actually quite good at what he does when he's allowed to do his own thing. But when they restricted him with the, the gimmick in the wrong direction, surprise, surprise, it didn't work. But he was too busy trying to keep the agents happy. But if there's less agents and he's just going out there and getting reaction from the crowd, I think Vince would have gone with him, which is a lot of what the 80s wrestling was, was go out there and get yourself over. And when we hear the audience going crazy and we see the audience buying your shirts and bringing signs and all that stuff, we're going to know what to do with you. But Fandango goes out and does exactly what the agents want because the agents immediately go back and say to Vince, he didn't do what we said. Oh, well, then he's not playing ball. Bury him. But if they said we did do, he did do what we asked and it didn't get over, well, it's because he sucks. And this poor guy's just in a lose-lose position, which is unfair to him because he might be, you know, he might have been wound up being the best whoever was. And we'll never know because of the way they handicapped him. Exactly. And that actually ties into our first question, which is, for your opinion about whether we've changed sports romance and have we changed it for the better have we changed it at all <laughs> um, and what do you think what do you think of it now when we look at it as a, like a genre that people are now watching uh, well I, I don't know if we've changed the change that because I think we were the first ones really to do it Yeah, we were. so I think we're kind of <laughs> Uh, we're kind of um, throwing darts in the dark and hoping we hit a bullseye. Yeah, we were. You know what I mean? So, like, some of our shots are going to hit and some of them are going to miss. And just we've got to figure out, you know, when we get the reactions for the ones we hit, that's where that's the direction we steer, mm-hmm. you know, everything that we want to go. But, I mean, we're in a position, because it's kind of a new thing, we're not in a position to kind of look at the template from somebody else who was successful and then capitalize We've got to be the basement. We got to be the ground floor and the first floor before we start moving towards the uh, before we start moving towards the penthouse. So I don't, I don't, I can't say. I'd love to say that we changed everything. I don't know if we actually changed anything, other than we've opened up a new door. Yeah, we've lost um, people in our army. I always say it's like an army because uh, Laurie Carrington actually passed away. Um, I'm sorry. Say again. Laurie Carrington, who did the other wrestling romance gimmick. All right. Passed away. So I feel oh. like we're almost kind of like the ones carrying the banner now. Because yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah well, so we don't even have somebody running a parallel course and then we can compare notes, you know? like It's, it's, it's sad, and I mean, I'm looking at the industry as a whole because that's one of the things that we have to do is we have to read the markets and constantly learn from the markets. And there is sports romance all about it, but it's sexy footballers or women getting together with footballers. Like, I mean, I wrote a novel for literally the first thing they asked me was can you do an erotic wrestling storyline <laughs> when I see the publishers that's the first thing I get asked is can you make wrestling sexier it's already sexy you don't, nobody needs to add anything to it but I still you know. no, what they want is they want they want an erotic story in the wrestling world yeah. so I think that's a lot of what those books you're saying is I don't know if they're um, sexy soccer books is there erotic books that just oh well we're going to put it in the soccer world or we're going to put it in the you know uh, handball world or whatever world you know whatever sports world 
they want to do it in. They're just using that as the backdrop for the erotic novel. And it doesn't really, like, we're trying to make it blend 50-50, and they're trying to go 80-20. So that's where that's where that, we have have a, a definitely a, a steep hill to climb. Yeah, we do have a steep hill to climb, and I think particularly I can see dancing um, dancers actually getting more into reading um, because of COVID and everything. So I have seen a slight change in our our audience base, which is kind of cool. But on the same hand, I see like you know there's wrestling fans coming in, which mm-hmm. we didn't really have before. So that I always thought that was interesting. Do you think? that wrestlers are aware of our books and the work that we've done and would have you had responses from it and what do you think their responses are um i've had some okay i've had i've definitely had some and most of the most people who've pursued it have told me they like it like you don't want to sign some books and stuff at at wrestling shows and stuff um the thing is is that the way they a way a lot of the wrestling fans look at it is they want wrestling first and the, the romance thing secondary. Yep. So they it's it's hard to drag them through, especially because, you know, guys try to be young and macho. Stuff. I wouldn't read any of that. Yeah. You know, like, you got to try and get them past the idea that um, it's, that it's cool. somehow a girly thing. Yeah. So that that's... But any of the ones who've read it, it's usually been women. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they've really enjoyed it and asked, you know, when more is coming type thing. So I think it's 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 on a good start, but it's you know like I say it's a steep hill to climb because it's a huge industry that goes everywhere in the world. I mean I've been to forty six countries on this job, like Nigeria and Israel and stuff like that. Like I never would have been to those places if it wasn't for wrestling. So wrestling is everywhere. It's not like we can just say, well, it's a Pittsburgh thing. So if we just throw everything at Pittsburgh, eventually Pittsburgh will you know validate us. We're trying to drop one drop into an ocean and have everybody pay attention to it. That's, yeah, it's, that's it's a hard, hard thing to do. So have you had any wrestlers take to your side and say, hey, what's, what's this you've worked on? Or, like, a, a few of the British guys have. They've been like, asking about what it's, what's up, and they've seen it. I think they saw it at Waterstones. Yeah. They've seen it on sale at Waterstones. They saw my name on it. They hey, holy crap, Joe, what was that? And, uh, you know, they'll see it if, if um, I sign a book at a, an autograph signing immediately. Is that your book? Yeah. Wow, really? What's that? And then you kind of explain it to them, and they get you know interested, and then maybe they go out and buy it, maybe they don't. <laughs> they haven't told me if they have. Yeah, but do you think it's more a positive response that you're getting? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard anybody's look at it and just say, "Oh, this is, you know, this is weak sauce." It's always kind of like, "Oh, I never kind of thought of it that way." You know, like it's kind of almost like they're getting their eyes opened. I've only had one wrestler come back to me and say what drivel is this? <laughs> um, I don't think it, he was the right audience for it, but right. yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that. I know from like my colleagues that like a lot of the, the authors were saying, are you crazy? You know, why are you, you know, why are you going into an industry that's all about TV and all about what you can see and what you're experiencing rather than reading it? So, I mean, I've, I've had responses from that, but I've always sort of seen, because you hear from the wrestling side, you hear it from, people that are going to be more themselves with you and rather like than their characters that they make up and to get mm-hmm. um, I think Rhino was very surprised when he when he walked up to him on the cover mm-hmm. yeah he was I think he was he was intrigued by it more than I think anything else yeah um, but it, you know people ask me like they say well why aren't you sending it to um, MJF or why aren't you 
progression with Darby Allen. Nobody, I get that a lot. Um, I don't think people really understand that when we're doing these books, I'm not running around behind the wrestling scene handing it to people. Like you know, right. I think that's a, a myth that's been built, and I don't know where that's come from. But then I get reminded by other friends in wrestling that gossip kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, wrestling is a very gossipy business. Yeah. So, and also, there's so many people who think they know what's going on behind the curtain. Yeah. And there's plenty of guys who stooge things from behind the curtain, but there's so much that comes at you. And you realize that, you know, 30% of it's true. Like, every every girl on the roster, you know, depending on the age of the guys talking about it. Oh, she's a slut who's doing everybody. And it's like, yeah. no, she's yeah. not. Yeah, like, how many of these girls... Like, I feel bad for the lady wrestlers, especially WWE, mm-hmm. because, like, you get a girl like, um, and let's say, let's just, Mickey yeah. James, for argument's sake. Yeah. Mickey James is backstage. Now, you're in, you know, Pittsburgh on Monday, and then you're in Philadelphia on Tuesday. Yeah. You go home Wednesday. But Thursday, you're back on the road, and you're in Tallahassee, Florida, and then Tampa Friday, and yeah. Miami Saturday, and so forth, right? So you don't really have any time at home. So the community you live in is the one you travel with. Kind of a circus atmosphere type thing. So who's she going to gravitate to? Especially because if she goes home for one day a week and meets a guy, how understanding is that guy going to be that she's away six days a week with well-built young guys doing a job he doesn't fully understand, but she does. So she she's inside that community. So she starts dating one of the guys on the show. <laughs> and of course it gets out because wrestling is gossipy and it's like oh Mickey James is dating such and such yep. Joey and Matthews oh okay well that's it but then you know sometimes relationships simply don't work out so her and Joey Matthews break up and then she starts dating I don't know whomever else like I don't think she ever dated Dolph Ziggler but I'll just throw Dolph Ziggler's name out there so then she starts dating Dolph Ziggler the immediate thing is oh she's sleeping all over the locker room no she's not she's trying to start a relationship with somebody else Maybe that'll work, maybe it won't. And then she eventually winds up marrying Nick Aldis, who's a great guy. But, do you um, think from but she's she's immediately painted in that regard because it's so gossipy. I know what's happening. She slept with this guy. She slept with that guy. She slept. Maybe she didn't, maybe she didn't. First of all, it's none of your business who she sleeps with. Exactly. First and foremost. But number one. Number two, that doesn't, just because she dated a couple of people trying to find somebody she connects with, doesn't mean that she's just a whore out there getting paid to, to nail all the guys on the roster. Some girls are like, there are plenty of girls in the business oh, yeah. who are like that and just sleep their way through the roster because that's what they feel like doing. There are girls like that. I've seen that but too. just because there's a couple of them doesn't mean that they're all like that. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the women, that you know, a lot of women don't want to look at the wrestling romance idea because they don't think it's realistic because they've heard that all the women are just sluts back there. So in turn, it makes them think like, well, if I read that, you know, are people going to think of me as a, a slutty woman? And the book is not like that at all. No, no, no. no. Yeah, no, but that's the thing is they're going to say, oh, well, this must be about a girl sleeping with all the wrestlers because that's what I heard they do. A little bit of a slut. Just, just a little bit. Oh, but it's, she wasn't, well, I don't want to give away the story in case people haven't read it. But, you know, she's not, just not going from one bed to the next. Mm, book two, I would say she did a little bit. Not the way people talk about the lady wrestlers. No. But I think in re- 
especially in particular, there's this attitude where if a girl doesn't sleep with a guy that's interested in them, and I know because this has happened to me, and I boob off the guy, I won't say his name. And the next thing I heard was from the next city over, he told everyone he had. Right. And I was like, wait, I had a roommate yeah. who's my best friend who can contradict this. Like, yeah. you know, uh, sorry, this particular person is phoning me up and saying, hey, can you, can you help me with the situation? Um, so for me, like, I know some of the boys, if they get rebuffed, if they yeah. get told no, that's when these stories come out. Like, yeah, it's, it's an immature thing. It's this. It's the school dance. The guy goes up to a girl at a school dance. He's like, you know, 15, she's 15. And he's like, hey, would you like to dance? And it's like halfway through the song, and she wants to dance for a whole song. She's like, well, not on this one. And he's like, yeah, but you're ugly anyways, and walks away. And she's like, no, I only wanted a long dance. <laughs> you yeah. came up to me because you were too scared. You waited till halfway through the, the song. Yeah, I mean, but he I immediately mean, feels he's got to protect himself by saying, well, I didn't like you anyways. And it's a very immature thing for the guy to do. This wasn't like a situation for me. I was there professionally. I wasn't there as a runner up. I wasn't there to, you know, make somebody's bed warm. But they just looked at me and instantly thought, okay, that's mu- that must be what, what I was there for. When actually everyone knew I was there because I was being asked to be there as a writer. Right. So to me, like, that was my first really bad experience. But then I had on the back end of it somebody who took me aside at an hour. And say, you're you're not that person. Like we know you didn't do what they said you did, but you can't get caught in the gossip. You can't, you know, you can't be defending your reputation every five minutes because you're never going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. So I let it go. But I think it is very damaging, and I wonder if that's maybe something that WWE needs to look at as well because they're the worst. If you look at what happened to Paige, and you look at what happened to other female wrestlers and producers, I mean. Is it not ridiculous that we're in an environment nowadays that you can't be a woman and taken seriously? Yeah, but I mean, the way that WWE is is because they're so high profile. Yeah. Most most of the Intuit fans are more interested in the backstage stuff than they are in the actual in-ring product. They sit there and complain about Raw every week. Three hours, this is garbage. Who booked this shit? Two stars, da-da-da-da-da. But they're on their computer every day trying to find out what's happening backstage. Who agented that match? Did you know? Did yeah. was you know? Did Rick Steamboat watch that match and see that arm drag? And what did Rick Steamboat have to say about it? What happened backstage? So when there is no gossip from backstage, they create it. Yeah. And, and it's always juicy gossip when it's you know sex sells. How many of the gossip magazines are all just this soccer player went out and was it's with this page. page three model? Like I mean, that's that, there's a whole industry of that in England. And there's the same thing in the States for baseball players and football players and hockey players and basketball players. Basketball, holy shit. There's so much of that about basketball players. And some of it's probably true. But there's also plenty of it that isn't. I know that, I remember Tom Selleck years ago. He, they, they came up with some gossip about him. I think they said he was drunk and doing some inappropriate stuff with women. It was the National Enquirer, I remember that, because they were the rag at the time. And, uh... Most celebrities just kind of come and say, that wasn't me. They're full of crap. The end. And the Inquirer would just keep doing stuff like that. Tom Selleck sued him and won. That's untrue and I refuse to. I think Carol Burnett did too. And I think, you know, maybe some of these, you know, 
these people in the wrestling business maybe should start holding some of these podcasters and stuff to account who throw out this false information. If they say, well, you know, we heard it. Yeah, but did you verify it? No, then you're spreading misinformation about me and that's slanderous to me. That's libel, whichever one you want to use. And you're going to, number one, you're going to announce publicly that you were talking out your ass. And if you do it again, then I'm going to sue you because I don't need my reputation screwed up. I don't need my family ruined because you created a rumor just to try and create your own relevance. Yeah, make your own. So maybe WWE needs to have a division to back up, uh, to back up talent getting backstage rumors that destroy families and destroy lives. I think there needs to be an atmosphere where if a woman is in a position where she's been attacked, she can walk into an office and say, hey, I don't feel safe because this is what's going on. But I don't think there is that. Unless well, since the speaking out movement, I'd say there's a strong one to the point that guys, it's kind of a shame to watch because guys backstage almost refuse to talk to a woman if they're alone. Like, they want to make sure there's a witness there to prove that I was talking to her, but I was always three feet away, and I always looked at the floor because I didn't want her to think I was staring at her her tits or anything. Like, guys are scared of this speaking out movement really, you know, like, on one hand, on one hand, it helped a lot of girls, I think, who who had some terrible times. But I think also, it's, uh, it's made a lot of guys gun shy of just, you know, treating women as equals in the locker room Mm -hmm. because now we have to step back and put them on a pedestal for fear of being misinterpreted as a compliment being a come on yeah hey great match or hey that's new ring gear that's awesome oh he was looking at my new ring gear but that's a new top and that's covering my tits he was looking at my tits you know like she can totally fly off the handle if she chooses to so guys are instead of treating women like equals they're treating them like outcasts just to protect themselves. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. Um, so, okay, I guess this next question can be fun. What are your thoughts if there was a wrestling romance movie and do you think it would change the game? Um, I guess it would depend on who made it, who was into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there'd be a lot of variables. I mean... If The Rock had any involvement, it would probably be successful simply because that guy just has the Midas touch. Like, everything that guy touches turns to gold. So, having his say-so involved might absolutely change change perspective entirely. Um, I think the best way to move forward on something like that would be... There's that TV show, Heels, with uh, the guy who was in Green Arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think if they were to infuse that, I haven't watched the show yet. I've heard great things. It's really I haven't good. watched it yet. I, I will say that. It's really good. And yeah, I haven't heard a bad word about it yet. But I if they like were to have a, a proper storyline like that in there, I think that would spark interest for a bigger production, uh, more more directed towards the, the wrestle romance thing. Yeah. But I think I right now, is. he's just getting, the, he's, he's opening up eyes about backstage stuff which isn't just cartoon yeah yeah so i think one step at a time if he can get a romance story off the ground that people care about i think that could kick open a big door and then that would change things i think it's a shame that he broke his back because they didn't protect him very well but 
I heard he got hurt. I didn't know the whole story behind it. Yeah, he did uh, coast to coast and landed wrong in both a vertebrae was back. Ah, shit. And it was the second day of playing. But giving the guy credit, he kept going. Yeah. Well, he did. Re- he was in SummerSlam or something like that. Didn't he wrestle no. uh, Cody Rhodes once? No, he he appeared all elite wrestling. He was friends with. Um, no, he wrestled like SummerSlam. He was on a WWE show. I'm certain of it. And he wrestled. I believe it was Cody yeah. Rhodes. Because that was a few years back. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. Is I think he appreciates the business enough that he's not just there to to scratch up a quick payday and and no sell somebody. Like and he's he there because really he likes it. Tony Khan was really supportive of Wheels. Um, you know, there was CM Punk was on the show um, as a as an actor. We had Mick Foley in the show. There was that support base from the wrestling community. I just think I think he could have done with somebody that would have protected him a bit better. Well, how old is he? He's in his thirties, late thirties. He's in his late thirties. Never done a coast to coast before, and then does it on the show. He should have probably put a, a stunt guy in for him on that. I mean, he had a stunt guy, but he wanted to do it himself. And yeah, but if I'm the director and I, the whole show hinges on his appearance, yeah. No, he, he, sorry, he Steve. He wasn't protected. And yeah. And I like the fact he took a young wrestler and he put a young wrestler in as the support yeah. role. I think that was really important, and it wasn't all about cameoing wrestlers from decades ago, like it. And they were in there for a purpose. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, Mick Foley t- turned up for no reason, you know? And the cast could act, and it worked. I yeah. think there will be a second season because of the way that it's worked. And I, I actually know the writer that's involved with it. And, and I've heard that there is another season. And it's a good opportunity for us to open the door a little bit further because they've cracked <laughs> it. We just need to push it, you know? And yeah. that's, that's what I keep saying to you, like, Sometimes you just need that opportunity to, to push it through. Yeah. And, you know, Marie's World isn't over. It's not like we've, we've turned around and said we're not writing any more of it. We are writing it. It just takes us longer because we've got families. We've got lives that, you know, get in the way. <laughs> get in the yeah, way yeah absolutely. Stuff. Um, so this is a, a daft question, so um, I apologize now. Okay. Do you think Darby Allen, the Darby Allens, Adam Coles, MJFs, could be the next generation to take the Finley Lance place. Um, ultimately, I I can't say they can't because I was asked years ago about uh, Kevin Owens and um, what's his name, Generico, mm-hmm. and those guys if they were going to be monster stars, and I was like, the way Vince goes, he he likes bodies, and neither one of those guys are bodies. And both those guys had huge key matches at Mania this year. Mm-hmm. So you never know what's going to kind of get over with the crowd. I think the Darby Allen thing would be a long shot just because <sighs> he wears the paint and he's trying to be like, he's trying to be like a new generation Jeff Hardy, like an enigma. Yeah. The more we get to know him, the less mystery is going to be. And his whole allure is his mystery. Yeah. Right. So I think he'd be a hard one to sell in that regard unless he was just like this appearance and disappearance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think MJF, I think he's I think he's talented as hell on the mic. So I think he could really do good things because when he speaks, 
he doesn't sound like he's trying to remember things. He speaks like he's speaking from the heart. So I think I just like his comfort level on the mic. So I think he could act. I think he could do a great job. And who was the other one? There was MJF, Darby Allen, and Adam Cole. Adam Cole. Um, maybe I think I think I think the one thing that's missing is in any romance thing, they want guys who are like mega fit, six packs and stuff like that. None of those guys are. None of those guys fit the traditional role. I think one guy has to has to fit a traditional role and then you have the tertiary guys who are wow he isn't what we expected but he's great so i think there's got to be there'll probably be a guy who's in wicked good shape shredded and all that stuff that you know ticks all the boxes of standard uh standard accepted symbol of beauty Hmm? the first time i saw adam cole i thought is that Shawn michaels's son Uh, right i don't know why but it was he's the bay bay guy just looks so much but like Sean. His he's, he's the Bay Bay guy, right? Yeah, he's the Bay Bay, the Bay guy. Yeah. But you see, to me, I've been told numerous times that he looks like me with mono. <laughs> he does a little bit. I will say that. There, see, when his hair is soaking wet, he looks like you because he, you know that. But a little version. He's a little guy. Yeah, but he, he's much smaller than you. But he reminds yeah. me of you in that way that he holds himself and the way. He okay. Looks. But on pure looks, just looking at his face. He looks like a Shawn Michaels son. Like okay, I'd have to... Shawn had spawned another child in the telly room. Yeah, you never know. He, he, he had a busy, pill-fueled youth that he might have, and you didn't even know it. It could, be, it could be a different, you know, it could be a, a, a Liza Marie world at some point about that. But to me, like, as soon as I saw him, I thought, God, that's Shawn Michaels' son. And I, I, str- I really struggled to get by that, to yeah. get into his character, to understand that he's not Shawn Michaels' kid. The super kick does not help, okay? Yeah, it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't separate him from that, yeah. Super kicks city, and I'm thinking, are we sure it's not Shawn Michaels' kid? You know, it was so hard for me to get by that. Yeah. I think he's exceptionally talented. He's a really awesome guy. He loves his games. He's a gamer. Um, he has I've heard that. Ro- you know, he's a wicked romance story with Brett Baker, who's actually his go-home. Um, All right. And they've been very open about their relationship too, which I think draws a lot more of the female audience in because it's it's giving them that kind of most I think most females who watch wrestling, there's always a wrestler that they're really hot for because it's it's a natural draw. But you yeah. get you get them staying because the girls are doing stuff and it's not just all guys in tiny shorts. Right. But for me, like I've not had that sort of love for it since the 90s, so I almost kind of lose that connection somehow. Yeah, yeah I get but you. When I, when I got into Elite, and I actually like got through a few episodes, I could actually see the ones that I was like, okay, Darby Allen is like, to me, he was like, okay, that's somebody Marie would have dated, you know? Right. Like, I, I felt that connection with someone. Did I want to get on the mic and embarrass MJF? Yes. That was my first gut instinct. I'm like, <coughs> I'd love to just have a go and see what I could do with that guy. But that's his draw. That's what makes him popular is that everybody knows the son. Yeah, he's a good heel. Um, actually, I I had this entire time when I was watching it, I actually thought of you as a perfect rivalry for him simply because they've got that hyper-intelligence where you would always <laughs> make him dumb. 
so I, I did, and I, I was like, he reminds me, like, there's so many bits of Raven, too, in Elite, which mm-hmm. pissed me off, because, like, Darby does the sitting in the corner thing, mm-hmm. and I, I instantly think it's Raven. Like, it's just like, well, it's a, oh, I think it's a crime that this job doesn't have Raven as, like, the head writer slash booker for oh, one of the companies. It's a shame because he is so, so gifted. Specifically, I mean, he's into comic books and all that stuff. But he is so specifically gifted in getting wrestling characters over. Yeah. He's probably, I mean, you watch his feud with the Sandman in the old ECW. That was, you can't say that any of them was a five-star technical wrestling match. It was a car crash. The whole thing was a car crash. But it was the most interesting car crash you ever watched. He knew exactly how to pace it, how, exactly how to get most sympathy for the good guy and heat on the bad guy, and just every little piece fit perfectly so to awesome. make it the most compelling story on the show, even though it was really the least wrestling of anything. It was a fist fight with a lot of like toys, but he made that the most interesting aspect of the show for the time he was doing it. So he's he's brilliant at it. Now give him two guys with characters and gimmicks that where they can do something. And I'm telling you, he blew the roof off the place with anything he wrote. I think if MJF wants to be the next big guy that beats Matt Jake, he needs somebody like Raven. I mean, he he had a great run with CM Punk. I'll, I'll give him that. He was really interesting with CM Punk, and he held his pace, and, you know, yeah. he was well done. But Punk's not Raven. And Punk will never be Raven. Oh, no, Raven changed the business. Yeah. I mean, when, when Raven showed up, all of a sudden, every third guy was wearing jean shorts and a t-shirt and swinging a chair. They just didn't have the timing to swing a chair the way Raven did. Raven would swing a chair, but he knew exactly when to do it to get the best reaction from the crowd. And he had enough story on the baby face that you really cared if that chair landed. Whereas most guys just, well, if I, don't, if I wear a t-shirt, I don't have to work out. If I get a lot of tattoos, then you know it won't matter if I work out. And if I just swing this chair really, really hard, people just see how tough I am. And if I bleed, they'll sympathize with me. And I Raven knew all the subtext that take all those superficial things, but put them on something that mattered, that absolutely mattered. I mean, I to be honest, like every time we sit down and we write Harold, there's nobody else that he would ever put Raven's shoes. Like no, he he is like Harold is Raven. Yeah, like I I say, Kurt Angle is a once in a lifetime wrestler as far as like oh my god might be the best in-ring performer ever but i would place raven in the once in a lifetime category of just once a lifetime professional who understands the job as well as works within it i mean he's hurt now he's he put his body through the ringer so he's you know physically just not able to do what he used to his neck is a mess and everything else um but the fact is is he's just simply simply his entire mindset is perfect for this job. He found this job and did it brilliantly. And the only problem with his business that I think he was so good at it that it bothered people on top because this guy who they consider their underling was better at it than them. And And I think that's a lot, that's a lot of why WWE didn't use him to his potential. I mean, that character needs vignettes and backstory and, and all that stuff, you know, the, the, the promos on those, on the stairs in the, in the park and stuff like that. He needs those. WWE didn't do any of that. They didn't understand it the way he did. There was some people and he needed that. And if, he, if they'd done it, Raven would have been a top guy. Yeah. And I mean, I even said this to 
found itself in position for that. I said to him, I said, if I had been in the back and you were the guy that walked in, I would have thought something fucking went for you because that was something I instantly clicked with. And I think I had started going off wrestling at the Actuario because I was losing that love for it. X-Pac wasn't, you know, X-Pac was my first taste of, of a, a short guy doing stuff like wrestling. Mm -hmm. And then Raven came out, and it, it was Raven that kept me interested in it, and Rhino kept me interested in it. And if it wasn't for those guys, I probably would have drifted off and done other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that to him all the time, I'm like, he's probably one of the biggest influences of my writing, because he makes me think through the world. Like, mm -hmm. I say... I think I've even said to you, I'm like, well, if Marie's going to do this, we need to understand why she's doing this. Yeah. You know? and I, I At any given time, anything that Raven had somebody doing in his matches, you could ask why and he could answer it. And if he couldn't answer why, it means you're talking out your ass. And he said, you know, he wouldn't do it. And right. I respected that. I think for me, like, I would have loved to have seen him do more, but I would have wanted him to see him do more not in a wrestling capacity, but almost in a, like, I'm going to interrupt this show and other ways kind of stuff. Like, I'm going to be the person that takes over the House of Black and manipulates Darby to do things for me. Do you know what I mean? I, I could almost see him as that monster that's living in the, the shadows that never gets beat up because he's yeah. busy controlling everything. And to me, that's how I think he should be used right now. Um, and I think it's a shame he's not. Yeah, yeah, it's a I'm crime. I'm so proud of him for doing that podcast and the stuff he is doing is fantastic. Um, but I, I miss him. I genuinely miss him as well. Yeah, I agree. He is. He can contribute and so we much. Agree on much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, I agree on Scott. He's like the business is a worse off place without him. To see, I mean, I don't watch a lot of it, but when I read about what WWE does and such, uh, and I hear people complaining about it all the time. But when I see all that and I read all that and I just think, you know what? Like, this is... What they have is they had a handful of, of parts. Yeah. And they put together the simplest, easiest thing and they just hope it flew. And, you know, 30% of it flew and 70% of the people crapped on. But because 30% liked it, they're going to keep following through. Yeah. If you had given all those pieces to Raven, he would have put together a, piece, a work of art that people would be dying for the next piece. Yeah. And I'm, there's not the minds that... There's so many of that generation that's coming out now that I couldn't imagine how good they would have been if they had a raven to sit under the tree, you know? Yeah. Like, I I find it hilarious Seth Rollins is doing your gimmick, you know, with the whole, I'm a visionary and, and yeah. stuff like that. And when he first started doing that, I was like, oh my God, they're ripping off Dave's shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally, I, I turned to my best friend and went, they're ripping off Joe. Furious. <laughs> Yeah, but um, when it gets on, you know, first one to get it on TV, it's theirs, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but I still, I still, in my head, because I, I know you so well, I was like, God damn it, he's ripping off Joe. And to me, I would have loved to have seen what Raven would have done with, like, a Seth Rollins, what he would have done with, K you know, KO. I don't think... What he would have done alone with Bray Wyatt. I think, I think they would have been... I would have loved to have seen what Punk would have been if he'd spent more time with Raven. I think, I think <clears throat> to be honest, I just think they needed Scott to, they should have had, here's the date, 
we're pushing Bray. Here's the date he's winning the belt. Yep. Here's the WrestleMania that he's going to drop it, and let Scott write that. Yeah. And that would have made Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt would have been the biggest star in the business. Yeah, by far. By far. Yeah. And I, I, I feel for the guy because he really went through. A lot well, they kept re- they kept revamping him before the people. The gimmick wasn't cold yet, and they were already killing it to try something new. Yeah. So the minute you gravitated to it, they took it away and changed it to something else. And then you gravitate to that, and they take it away. No Scott would have had continuity, would have had uh, integrity to the character. He probably would have never had the guy do an interview outside of wrestling. He would have been like married to the character and kept kayfabe alive to the point where you start to wonder how much he believes it. Which worked tremendously for The Undertaker, because Undertaker, you never saw him talk, yeah. ever, until the past couple of years when he was you know, ready to pack it in. Yeah. And that worked for Undertaker, because people bought it. They were like, even if they didn't buy it, they were curious how much he bought it. Yeah. And Scott would have had Bray Wyatt do the same. I don't think they would have done the Firefly Funhouse. No, I think that was... He would have kept it dark and spooky and um, still believable. I think he would have kept him, even though he's weird, I think he would have kept him in that uh, New Orleans cult leader thing and wouldn't have gone to The Fiend or anything like that. I think he wouldn't have needed to. I think Scott could have made him a lot scarier as a real-life serial killer than as a supernatural monster. To me, though, I think Bray Wyatt got a lot of stick at the beginning because he was... It was like Vince was trying to reincarnate Raven into to Bray. And I kind of. That was what a lot of people got from that. And I think I'm glad Raven didn't watch it, almost, because I think it would have pissed him off in a way. Because I don't if they give him control of it, Bray, Scott would have made him the biggest star in the business. Yeah. But my the only thing they would have made the mistake on is they would have given him more followers. Yeah. And he needed to have a tight circle of lunatics. He didn't need to have a whole football team. He might have had one or two more, and then that would be it. And that's all he needed. He needed a Raven's Nest, not an NWO. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm looking out for Scott in, in a way that I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he should Absolutely. be recognized for a lot of stuff he's, he's not being recognized for. Because people yeah. don't know about the years he spent behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, a loving secret that nobody talks about because, you know. And I'm sorry, the only reason Impact was as good as it was when he was there is because he had the balls to challenge Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I'd say that's part of it. You know, and I don't know if he challenged Vince so much as he confronted Vince and and came to concessions where they both agreed on something. I saw Raven's hand in a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, but I think Raven would be the guy to say, "Listen, Vince, here's what I'm thinking." I think Vince is a smart enough guy to go, "You know what? I think you're right." I would have, I would have liked to have seen Raven reunite. Yeah, it could have been. They, they, the way they Paul describes it, and the way Scott describes it, is that when he came in and left the Johnny Polo thing and became Raven, yeah. he came into ECW to work for Paul and said, this is what I want to do. I want to revamp. I want a new character entirely. I don't want to do my ex-WWE thing. I don't want to do the Scotty Flamingo or Scotty Polo or whatever other stupid thing he's doing. Yeah. And Paul was like, all right, what are you thinking? And they sat down and talked about it. And Raven said, this is what I'm thinking. And Paul was like, all right, I'm going to let you do it. But Paul was more the green light guy, and Scott was more the creative guy. 
and I'm sure Paul, you know, spitballed some ideas in there, and then Raven took those and blossomed them. What's that? I think Paul would have raved it in a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little, but at the same time, he gave Scott the creative freedom to completely open up and do what he wanted, and it was a massive success for the for the limited budget they had. This is going to be the toughest question for you, okay? Mm-hmm. If we were to work with any wrestling legendary writer other than Scott, who would it be? And why would it be important for Marie's world? <sighs> for Marie's world. See, if it was just for wrestling, I'd you say Jake Roberts. This is harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you, if I'm it was. Falling, you yeah, it's okay. It's fine. If it was just for wrestling, I'd say Jake the Snake. Yeah. Simply because I've spent time on the road with him, and when you talk wrestling, he is brilliant. You yeah. talk about anything else, he's a maniac. But you talk about wrestling, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, as far as, and this is just writers, or is it performers who I think would have a good let's sense? Go, let's do both. Let's go for it. Let's do both. Because I know, I know who I want to work with. But I would say underrated but i think would lend a lot to it mm-hmm. would be uh victoria okay victoria has a good mind for it the thing is she knows how to she knows how to to bring the sexy to it without making the sexy the whole thing yeah yeah i agree with that all right she doesn't just okay look at my tits you know like that isn't her thing she does this really cool stuff, and oh, by the way, she's super hyper attractive as well. Like that's that's kind of the bonus. Yeah. Um, For me, it was. So I th- and she's a sweetheart, and she's a smart girl. Yeah. And uh, just wonderful to hang out with. I mean, I consider her a pal. She's great. I got nothing but good things to say about her. So man, maybe for for a, a Marie's project, yeah, Victoria. Victoria would probably be the one I I trust with it. I mean, I liked the idea of AJ Lee because she she was really good at what she did and the thing is she I don't know enough about her to say I might agree with you if I saw more of her stuff but I haven't watched enough to be able to yeah. to agree um, entirely but maybe she was one of them like I did spend time with Vince Russo and I have talked Marie's world to Vince Russo that I can just you know people say I haven't but I have actually um he probably was the the, the explosion underneath me that made me reach out to you and say I actually push it further because he said team up with a wrestler because you're not a wrestler and this isn't going to work unless you work with a wrestler um, so I would love to work with Paul simply because I think well you know how my brain works and mm-hmm. Raven says well you know I think there's a lot of moments where I remind him of him in the regard that I get too much into my character and I get sort of forget the lines if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, so I think yeah I think if I was to to work with anyone other than you or Raven, it would it would be Paul, and I just think it would be interesting to see what would happen when we're working with him. To be honest, yeah, yeah, Paul could definitely be a part of it. I don't know if he'd. I think he definitely have the action stuff down, and he had the intrigue stuff down. I just don't know how he'd be on the on the romance side of it. I've never he seen him would, implement any of that. No, he would he would give me the creative freedom to do a lot yeah. of stuff that I like to do with it, and that I like to keep. The sexy scene in the kitchen with Kirkland was was all me, and you were like, "Should we rein it in a little bit?" You mm-hmm. know, like, but it worked. You know, mm-hmm. like he's taking that chance, and it worked. Um, but I think he would rein me in enough that it would 
incredibly intense, but it wouldn't be great for me. Right. You know, no, Paul, it. definitely, he's he's an excellent storyteller, for sure. Yeah. And I think he would give me the confidence to kind of go to that next level with it, I he, think. He also knows how to weave several plot lines in and then have them come to a crescendo at the end of it. Yeah, and that's, so, yeah. that's really important for me as well, because when we look at the amount of characters we have in it, yeah. going through it, through a book it's quite intense from from that perspective Mm -hmm. yeah so paul would be a good guy for that for sure so the next one is what's our plans for new leaf world and what's our dreams for it um i don't know if we're allowed to say the plans (laughs) i don't know how much either but you know like this this is questions that we have to answer because this is what the readers want to know Okay, if I can if I can stay as vague as possible. Yeah, we have to. Is we'd like to have some have it come alive in some live action form. Yeah. Whether TV, movie, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um that would be the that would be the long the short-term plan would be to get the first one out in that form. Yeah. A long-term plan would be to have it branch out into several different you know sequels and side stories and stuff like that. But ultimately, like ultimately to have to bring it to a visual medium and not just keep it books. So, do you think we're going to do the next one? <laughs> <laughs> like, cause I know the next one's supposed to be Will's story, um, right? But yeah, they're they're asking like if we're actually going to do it, and I don't have an answer for that one either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like to hope so. We got to make sure that you know everything. Each one's got to be viable, and I wouldn't want to do one that wasn't worthwhile, just yeah. because I want the title out there. It's yeah. not. It doesn't reward the readers of the other ones no, to take a bunch of good ones and then say, well, you needed this name here. Take this name and shut up. That's yeah. not very – that's – And I think, that's, I think we, were, we were talking about it not that long ago, but Will is a kind of the, the turning point character for Layla because I think he makes Layla realize what she's gotten herself into. Right. It's kind of like our introduction to the brothers and why the brothers are maybe acting the way that they are and doing the things that they are. I think it's going to be fun exploring Will's connection with, with Charlie. Right. We had yeah. the introduction of Charlie trained him. Right. So is Charlie going to go into cahoots with him? Right. Now that's that's the thing is we got to make sure that we, we keep the intrigue alive. Yeah. And not and just Charlie throw it out there for the sake of throwing it out there. Yeah. And Charlie's a huge part of it. And I, I mean, do you want to go on record and say where Charlie came from? Because Charlie was never in the original idea. So um, well, you go ahead if you want to. I'm gonna. <laughs> this is this. This whole thing started as kind of your baby, so I don't want to speak no, out of school. No, it's, it's both ours because I would never. I mean, this I was all your idea to begin with. To begin with, this was your baby, and then you brought me on board. But this is you're the you're the am mother I, to this getting, whole I'm thing. I'm getting the Vince stuff. Am I? Am I getting it dumped on my shoulders? No, no, no. If it was bad, it'd be dumped on your shoulders. You're getting credit. Yes, because um, so this, this started off with your idea, and then we built it from there. Because I never thought of the girl's father as, like, an important part of it. And I think right. coming in as the dad of twins was really important because you had that kind of connection. You already the experience of doing that whole thing. Yeah. And I think you had the question you needed to be answered, like, would Charlie tell his daughters about wrestling? Why wouldn't he tell them? And, you know... I think it's every wrestler's worst nightmare to have two daughters and then let them into business because they know of all the stuff that goes on there. 
Um, well, in general, it's like we, we spoke, I speak about it in wrestling. I talked to this uh, with D'Lo, yeah. D'Lo Brown, who's one of the best, most underrated guys ever in the job. Super guy. But he has a, he had his daughter, Bria. We called her Booyah. Don't ask me why. But uh, we hadn't talked in a while. And then I was messaging with a friend of mine, and they happened to be having dinner together. I said, oh, tell D'Lo I said hi. And he said, oh, D'Lo says you're a prick and go fuck yourself. And I was like, ah, ha, ha, right? Yeah. And uh, so we joked around for a few minutes, and I said, oh, how's uh, Booyah? And he said she was 17, 16 or 17. I said, oh, she's you know at uh, boyfriend age. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, he goes, that's, that's the difference between having a son or a daughter. Like, with a yeah. son, you only worry about one dick. With a daughter, you worry about every, every dick, dick in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got to double that with twins. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do you, do you not think, though, that if you were Marie and there was fathers, that you would be white-haired by now? <laughs> I am white-haired. I color my hair. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it would be worse. Would you not agree? Because I think Marie would have had you in an early grave by now. <laughs> It'll probably, yeah, I wouldn't be white-haired. I'd be dead, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I laugh and I joke about that, but um, I think I said to, to Rhino, I'm like, if if she was alive, I don't think Joe could have. If that was his daughter, I don't think he would have survived it. I think he would have uh, so many fist fights. He's got, a, he's got a daughter with a pretty independent spirit, too, so I see him... Uh, Struggling. You know, playing his stress card out pretty strong sometimes. Adores her to death. I mean, she lives 15 minutes from me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's still he's still the most loving father you could ask for. Yeah. But also, you know, on top of it, he can't even look after her because he's, in, you know, in Detroit, in Monroe, Michigan specifically. And she's all the way over here in Germany. He might, so he he's got that stress doubled. I, I don't envy him, at least with my boys. Like, they're in the next room usually. So I can go yeah. and check on them, make sure they're okay. Are you dreading the dating period? Because it's, it's coming up. Um, no. My boys are, they're, they're growing into good men. I have every trust in the world that they are confident. Because I know uh, Connor's had a couple of girlfriends. Yeah, right. So yep. And the one he, the one girl was very interested in him. Mm-hmm. I think he was nine or ten. Wow. And she was very interested in him. And she asked him to be her boyfriend yeah and he took her aside so she wouldn't be embarrassed in front of a bunch of people yeah Which is and good. rather than being a standard you know nine or ten year old and ooh, girls you suck you know the standard <laughs> stupid yeah. immature boy thing Connor took her aside and said listen i'm 10 and i don't think i'm ready to do something like that i think you're great and i want to be friends with you yeah but i don't want to mislead you and he did that at he did that at ten years old. So I've got every confidence that my boys will do the right thing, uh, moving forward when dating becomes more prevalent in their lives. So do you think that they'll follow you into wrestling? Right now they're they're hugely into handball. All right. Maverick, uh, he's the best goalie in his age group and in the age group above. They they move him back and forth between the two age groups. That's Connor got in. Uh, late, he came in about two years after Maverick because he was doing jujitsu first. Yeah, I just wanted to do handball, so broke my heart a bit that he left jujitsu because I did the four black belts in karate and kung fu. So I was all about, yes, he's into martial arts like me. Um, yeah, but he had to follow his heart. Yeah, he had to follow his heart, and I yeah. can't have him follow my heart. He's got to follow his own heart, and I just got to support him. And he, uh, so now he's uh, 
He's one of the hardest throwers in his league. Yeah. And uh, getting better and better and better all the time. Scores a lot. So right now, handball's kind of their thing. They've only ever seen a bit of my wrestling. And I they actually, I think it was three or four days before my 50th birthday, they finally got to see me wrestle live for the first time. Because yeah. in Niedersax, in the state I live in, you have to be 15 or older to go to a wrestling show. So I was wrestling up in the Hearts, which is in the next kind of state over. It's only like an hour and a half away. But I brought them. And I did the main event against uh, this guy, um, the Fast Time Mudo, I think his name is. Real nice guy. Anyways, I, I beat Mudo. We had, I don't know, eight or 900 people. Yeah. Standing room, fucking people going crazy. And then when I got the win, the kids got to see me, you know, through the whole match. They were right up against the gate watching. Yeah. And then once I won, I brought them into the ring. Yeah. And the whole crowd was, little legends, clap, 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 yeah. little, doing that. And then we did my zigzag thing and yeah. played with the crowd. And I just thought, this is the best 50th birthday gift I could have had. Yeah. It was a moment you were looking forward to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just the fact that, like, you know, their other friends can say, yeah, you know, my parents, uh, we went and saw a big soccer game and the other friends like oh yeah well, we went to disney world and my boys we were in the ring after the main event where my dad won a match and the crowd was chanting for us you know like they've got that that no, nobody else in their class has yeah so yeah so right now i don't see them following me into wrestling they, they make mention of it every now and again but because it's every now and again i think it's just kind of a fleeting yeah. wouldn't this be neat as opposed to wow i want to do this Oh, I could kick open a lot of doors for them, and I'd make sure they were well trained. I mean, I teach, I'm teaching here, and like, but in like a half hour, I got to go teach a, yeah. a class. So, I mean, I've got students here, I've got a gym here, I could bring them in to train there if if they were interested. Yeah, but that's good though, because it, it means that there's options and stuff. Like yeah, they always have that door open if they, should they ever choose to. Because I, I look on it like some people said, well, would my daughter go into because I was asking I went into our because I mean I broke doors when I went and did what I did. I had a bit more training before I done it. As I say, rubbing my neck, thinking on it. Um, but yeah, I get asked that a lot. And when I look at like the dance studios in my area, I've gone snooping because you know when you're out in the leaves, like you have to go snooping. Um, there's a lot of my stuff out there. I don't get credit for. Yeah. And I've discovered it, and I'm like, oh, that's my move. Why is that my move? Why is my move there? It's it's curious for me to watch the street dancing now because I look a lot older now, which I don't know if other people do that. Nah. People don't necessarily recognize me anymore, so I'm able to snoop on the dance floors and see it. Um, and one of them thought I had like vanished completely and they were doing an homage to me in Glasgow. And I was walking down and um, I saw it and it was my hand signal for the floor. Stuff still lingering around like this is what 15 16 years later it's still yeah. around. well i mean the the whole brian danielson yes 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 thing mm -hmm. that started in what 2009 2010 2008, I think. okay maybe 2008 you go back and look at the pay-per-view i did in scotland for wwa in 2000 
2002 or 2003. I think it was 2002. It was WWA Revolution or Retribution or something like that. But anyway, if you watch, there was me and Mike Sanders. We did a promo segment early, and then we did the match later on the night. In the promo segment, I had the yes, yes, yes thing going years before Danielson did it. And the, uh, the curb stomp. I was wrestling on a show in Austria in 2002, 2004, 2004 maybe. And uh, a guy named Tyler Black was on the show with me, who ultimately becomes Seth Rollins. And on that show, yes, it was 2004 because I'd already been, I'd left Windsor. In Windsor, I'd invented the curb stomp. And I used it in Japan. I'd used it in Japan and a few other places, and then I did it in that match, and Rollins came up to me. Because he was just, everybody said, oh, he's, he's this Ring of Honor guy. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I know Kerry Silkin. I met him in Puerto Rico. He's a super guy. So, yeah, we have a common person we can say hi about and break the ice with. And he was like, I saw your, your match, good match. I'm like, oh, thank you. He goes, that stomp thing's cool. I'm like, thanks. Turns out he likes it a lot. Because <laughs> he yeah, wound up doing it. it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. He's the guy on TV first, so people think it's his. Yeah, and it, it's weird to me because, like, dancing's not something that's televised, right? So I I don't get, like, how my move is spread the way that they have Well, it's that's probably a word of mouth thing. No, I think it was the stuff, like, because I did a lot of stuff in Edinburgh, I think it was. Was it Edinburgh or Dundee? I'm not sure. I wasn't driving, so I never know. But, um... I look at the stuff that was done in London just before the pandemic, and I, re- I think I remember sending you a tweet, a screenshot of a tweet of them actually kind of patting me on the back for a lot of the different flips and stuff that I do. Um, it's still used. Like, they still have that homage moment of they pick somebody from the past, and they, they bring up their hand signals, or they do a certain move in homage to them. I just never thought I'd be one of the legends that was still, like, a ghost floating about. Mm-hmm. Long after, but I do know that the book circulated. So a lot of the dance stuff that I put in the book is circulated still. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and it, it's weird. Like somebody came up to me and said the best part of my dancing wasn't actually the because I'm not very athletic. I I'll only admit that. And you discovered how difficult it is to work the dancers yourself when you did your movement program. Mm-hmm. But like my best stuff, everyone said was when I was calm. Like when I did the. You would call it formal. We just called it talking shit. Shit talking, yeah. Um, you know, like, I went out and I would pick that particular person apart. That was that was what I was good at. I could go and pick a character apart if she wasn't human. And it worked for Marie for as long as I did it. But that's what I'm remembered for. Not, not the stand, not the move, not the, the hand gestures or the fact that I had the first felt made to be, you know, obnoxious. I had my nose up, you know, in diamonds and stuff like that. Um, none of that's remembered. It's it's my ability to pick people apart. Right, but, I mean, look at Ric Flair. Yeah. More people remember him for woo mm-hmm. than, they than all the things he did in wrestling. Yeah. They remember for woo! Yeah. So I don't do, be surprised if there's one hook that, yeah. that hooked, I mean... For all the great matches Roddy Piper had, he's just remembered for being a great shit talker. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I would be remembered for that. I think 
I was trying to prove that Johnson was just supposed to just be a tedious borrowing a statement guy. And I did that, but I was almost compared to, like, people said I should have been in wrestling twice then. And I, that always sucked. Like, I had get dances from, you know, you don't belong here, you should keep going and doing wrestling or something like that. And if I hadn't had that bad experience with Aberdeen with that wrestling company, who knows? I probably would have. But I think it's weird to me that that's my legacy, or that's always going to be my legacy, is, is my ability to talk and get people to come. And I don't even know where that came from. That was just... Oh, but if it worked, it worked. Yeah. And that's what I'm remembered for. I mean, look at Scotty Too Hotty. Of all the... I mean, he's a good worker. Yeah. You remember the worm? The most non-wrestling move... In the world. Of, yeah. In wrestling. Mm-hmm. But he found something that the people connected with, so... Don't question it. Run with it. Yeah, and I mean, that was the thing. If you're in a nightclub full of drunk people, you, you know, you got to come up with something to get yeah. the focus on you. And, and that, that yeah. was... Find your hook. Yeah. I'm just glad that Maria gets to live on through it. Yeah. You know. And it's great because in a couple of weeks we're going to have Sean Flanagan on from mm-hmm. the Drunk um, Gods and we're going to talk about like working and stuff together. And it's, I mean, I've, I've been slammed. If anyone knows this, I was recording my podcast at midnight last night. I had to be up for an early morning meeting and then I come on and record my deep bit and I am just back to back slammed at the moment. I'm out there constantly now trying to promote and work in the entertainment industry, but I'm also driving. So <laughs> it's kind of like the d- I've gone triple barrel now because I've also got the podcast. I don't know if I ever thought that was a good idea or not. But the whole point of this was to bring authors in and make them more human and make Hello? people realize we have a life outside of this whole gig. Um, Hello? So there we are, go. You, are you reading books? Um, we talked everything else. We talked life. We talked story. We talked our writing careers. So hmm. let's talk about books that you should be reading or have. Um, mostly, uh, what I do uh, get through into a book. Um, right now, my favorite author is Chuck Palahniuk. All right. Okay. Guy who wrote Fight Club. Yeah. Just so everything he's ever written is an absolute diamond. The one thing he wrote, which is really affecting is the um he wrote a short story for playboy when tori wilson when she put it her photos in playboy in the early 2000s uh he wrote a story exclusively for playboy mm-hmm. and i remember reading it we a bunch of us were driving to cleveland to do a gig for uh cleveland all pro yeah. and so i thought i'd read the story oh chuck Palahniuk, great and i got through the story and i had a cold sweat and i was like yeah oh my god oh my god that was the most messed up thing I ever read. And my buddy Tyson Dukes, a student of mine, yeah. he's like, you okay? I said, I just read the most messed up thing I ever read in my life. Yeah. And uh, he says, can I read it? I'm like, I, I don't want to do that to you. Like, I'm just really screwed up. Yeah. He's like, oh, come on, come on. You know, I wouldn't do it. And then we stopped for a, a piss break. And I started thinking, you know what? I probably got like motion sickness from reading while driving. And now I'm going to look a real sissy if he reads it and he feels fine, right? But I thought, screw it, you know, he's bugging me, all right, read the stupid thing. So I gave him the magazine. We pull into Cleveland and into the show, and as I'm sitting there, over my shoulder, the magazine comes trembling. And I look at him, and he's ghost white, cold yeah. sweat. Oh, my God, that is the most screwed up thing I ever read. Yeah. So I can't, I don't want to go into detail because I can't do it justice. Mm-hmm. 
I just encourage if you can find a copy of that Playboy article that he wrote the story for, it is the most messed up thing you'll ever read. But it's good writing because it affected me. With what? Wood. Wood, like yeah. lumber. Yeah, lumber. Wood. Wood. Log cabin. Because I'm dying to live in a log cabin. Well, my next one's going to be forest. I guess that's going to be the answer for that too, isn't it? My wood cabin in the forest, yep. Uh, pine needles. Uh, Christmas tree. Leather. Leather. Um... The jacket I wear when I go out to cut down a Christmas tree. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll go with that. Uh, peppermint was the next one. I don't know why that was in there. But peppermint? Yeah. That would be uh, candy canes. And then the final one's orange. Orange. Those god-awful chocolate oranges that I can't stand but the wife likes. And they're always around at Christmas. There you go. <laughs> the idea Turn this into a holiday episode. I don't know how that happened. The idea of the game is to kind of like show like how writers take a word and, and it kind of explodes into something. Yeah, it just threw me into a Christmas theme. Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, I know yeah. you love Christmas, so I thought we'd well, see if you could bid that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the plan is we're going to have you back when we hit, I think it's 100 episodes. Okay. Um, or if we release a book before then. Sure. Um, no, buzz so me and let me know when you want me. It's okay. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you're not you're not too far away. So before we go off, the final question I've got to ask is, if there was a wrestler that you could give the book to, who would it be? I give the book to. And you have to have a conversation with them. You can't just like hand the book and run away. Honestly, John Cena. Really? Yes. Okay, you're gonna have to explain that one to me because we've talked a lot um, about this. I just I think I think he's a really good human being for all the charity work he does and the make a wish and stuff like that. I think if he liked it, um, he'd be able to promote it in the most positive way worldwide. Um, in the most positive light possible. And I think he's a, he's a smart guy that doesn't, because he looks like such a, you know, a football jock. He doesn't, he looks like a lunkhead, but he's a really smart guy. Um, and he's funny. He's got a great sense of humor. So I think we could have a good, positive, funny conversation that would be productive around the book. And I think um, if he were to give it a thumbs up, a lot of other people would give it a chance too. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. Um, for me, if I was to walk over to someone and hand them the book and I had to have a conversation with them, I think my choice will surprise people because I think people will be like, "Well, why would you do that?" But it would be Cody Rhodes. Why not? Because I think his way of looking at wrestling is completely different. Um, and I think me and him could probably change a lot of people's minds with it. Because he's done that 
Mm-hmm. I agree. And I'm also on a podcast, usually every Thursday, with a friend of mine from uh, Canada called Oz the Wise. Yeah, and we just we just shoot the shit about nothing. <laughs> like there's no real format. It's just us, as if we were just on the phone bullshitting with each other. Yeah, well. That's but uh, I'm on that all the time, just because yeah. he asked me to be, and he's he's a pal since high school. So why wouldn't I help a buddy out? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the whole idea of this was just people sitting down having a conversation about books. Yeah. Perfect bunnies. Yeah, your legendary bunnies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We have the great and powerful Ahsoka Tano, uh, prote- protector of the universe and jewel of the Jedi Order. We have Lady Timber, warrior princess and master of kung fu. And we've got Dr. Frederick Bonkers, bunny psychologist. He's in your head, man. Those are my bunnies. Thank you for having me.